Anybody ever been woken up in a way that you hated? Anybody ever had that happen? Maybe another way to ask that question. Anybody have kids? <laughs> Thanks, Kenneth. <laughs> Crockett is the best at waking people up. It's typically just like a, a full-on body slam, like just jumping on y'all's stuff. Uh, it, it's, it's outstanding. That's my favorite way to, to wake up is just abruptly being tackled uh, or jumped on. We're actually going to uh, uh, see a few ways that you wouldn't want to be woken up in the passage we're reading. It's, it's uh, kind of fun. Peter's going to experience almost every way that you wouldn't want to be woken up uh, in Acts 12. So we're going to be uh, in Acts chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 1. And about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Okay. So this time, it's, it's interesting. When you read Acts, especially the way we're going through it, if we're you know, just progressing through this book week by week, you can think that this is all in a short period of time, that this maybe all of this happened within a couple of years. But uh, we know that Herod, um, we'll, we'll see at the end of this chapter, Herod dies. Um, so Herod dies in uh, 44 AD. So we know that from chapter 1 to chapter 12, that spans about 12 years of ministry. And so we might be thinking this is just, you know, flying through here, but really this is a long period of time that all this stuff happens in. Um, and so he says that Herod laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Herod hated the church. And what's interesting is it might be surprising that Herod hated the church, but it shouldn't have surprised anyone because Jesus promised that the world would hate the church just as the world hated him. So Herod's going to try to end the church by violence. Persecute, fight, kill, imprison enough to make these people afraid to be a part of this. If this hatred is expected, how should we feel about it, right? So if Jesus has promised us, hey, just as the world hated me, they're going to hate you. How should we feel about this? I think we should feel the same way that uh, Peter felt about this when he wrote that, when uh, he's quoted in Acts 5.41. Then they left the presence of the council. They'd just been right, arrested and beaten. And rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. The way we're supposed to feel about suffering inside of our faith is we should rejoice that we're counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. Do you rejoice when your faith is hard? Or do you struggle like I do to whine and complain or get mad or just be done? I think that we're in a time, we've been in such a long time of uh, easy faith, right? Being a Christian has been an easy thing, at least by name. I'm not saying that our faith is easy, but by name, claiming to be a Christian has been an easy thing for a very long time. And one of the things that's done is it's created a lot of uh, false faith, right? All you have to do is show up and you can say, well, of course I'm a part of this. Of course I'm in here. And I wonder if persecution came. What would happen to the church in America? Real persecution. I'm not saying the kind of stuff of, well, my coworker doesn't like to talk to me anymore because they, uh, they know I'm a, a Christian. I'm talking real suffering like is happening across many other places in the world. And I love it because the apostles said that they, they were just rejoicing, saying, man, we're, we were worthy to suffer for Jesus. Would we be considered worthy to suffer for Christ? So Herod is just persecuting the church, violently hurting these people, killing them. 
He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. So he killed James. If you remember, uh, if you've ever studied through the Gospels, you'll see there's three people that are really, really close to Jesus. So he has the 12, but then he has Peter, James, and John. He spends a lot of time with them. A ton of time. They're at, they're at some of the things that the other apostles don't get to be at. James was a, a major part of the, the leadership in the church. But Jesus even warned that there's how he predicted it. You see this in Mark 10, 39. And they said to him, we are able. So this is James and John. They'd come to Jesus. They're, they're fun. They came up to Jesus and said, hey, uh, Jesus, we have something we want to ask you. And you need to, <laughs> we want you to say yes. This is basically how they said it. He's like, what do you want? They said, we want to be the ones that sit on your right and left hand when you get to your kingdom. We want to be, we want to be bosses. <laughs> and Jesus says, uh, do you think you're ready to walk the path I'm going to walk? They're like, oh, yeah, we are. They have no idea what Jesus is going to be doing. And he said to them, uh, and he said to them, we were able. They said to him, we were able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. And what he's foretelling is that James and John are both going to suffer for their faith and their leadership in the church. So Herod kills James and he sees that it pleases the Jews. So Herod is the king over this Roman territory and he had to report directly to Caesar because he was, this is a contentious area, right? Keeping it calm and peaceful was extremely important to make sure that Herod's life could uh, continue. The world will always be pleased with the pain and destruction in the, in the church. Does that make sense? The, you know, with the world, when you see news come up about scandals or when th- people fall, there's major failures of high-level people. You almost see joy in some people's uh, lives when they're like, oh, look at that. That's, it's all a bunch of fake people. You, it's always going to happen. They rejoice in the destruction of the church. I think one of the things we have to be careful, we, we have to make sure that we guard ourselves from ever falling into that same place, Right? Because sometimes I can struggle with this. I know probably each of us can. Anybody ever been hurt inside of a church? We got very dishonest people today. Um, When you're hurt, is it easy to think I want bad things to happen? Is it easy to feel good when things don't go well? We must guard against that in our hearts because the church is not ours. It belongs to Jesus Christ. In fact, he calls the church his bride. Who in here is okay with somebody talking bad about your wife? Any husbands? If your wife is here, do not raise your hand. Any wife in here just great with somebody just talking bad about your husband? Okay, if we, inside of our sinful and fallen state, can still have that kind of honor of caring for our spouse, how much does Jesus Christ care for his spouse, his bride? infinitely more than we do. How dare we speak bad of the bride of Jesus Christ? So you saw these Jewish Jewish people, they were excited that James was killed. They loved it. They were loving seeing the destruction of the church. And Herod sees them just like clapping and they're so happy of all this stuff happening. So he's like, all right, I'm going to keep going. So he arrests Peter. Think of what the church just lost. James is just murdered. Peter, the apostle who is currently leading the church, is thrown into prison. 
And this happens during the days of unleavened bread. So this is the seven days that follows the Passover meal. And according to to Jewish tradition, you couldn't put someone to death during that seven days. You had to postpone. So what this means is that uh, the the purpose of putting Peter in prison was to kill him also. And so not only did the Jewish people know this and were excited and celebrating, the church knew what was happening. They just lost James. He'd been murdered in the streets. And then Peter is in prison awaiting death. And again, think of this. This is happening during the the Passover time. Around the same time of Jesus Christ's death. Do you not think that Satan was trying to orchestrate something to cause great devastation? As they're, I'm sure, 12 years in, they're, they're mourning and they're, they're crying. And they're still you know, uh, thinking through, I mean, they, uh, even with the, the joy of knowing that the death and ascension of Christ was something that, that brought life. I'm sure they're still thinking, man, do you remember the times? I mean, I'm sure every Passover for them was sitting down and thinking, do you remember when we sit there and thought, what's going to happen next? What are we going to do? Remember the brokenness we felt whenever he was in the tomb? And then here... They're in another Passover and they lose James and Peter is thrown into a prison. When when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was physically taken by force, probably in the presence of even some of the church, just ripped away. And he was guarded by four squads of soldiers. Each squad was made up of four different soldiers. They were making sure they had him. But even this was no match for God. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Think of how much fear and discouragement the church would have been feeling. They lost James. Peter was about to be killed. They would have felt, could have felt, absolutely and completely hopeless. But they, instead of just sitting in that, waiting in that, they commit themselves to earnest prayer. How should we respond to suffering in the church? How do we respond to suffering in the church? I think a lot of times we'll we'll choose gossip, slander, blame. We'll be selfish and say, this is mine. Sometimes we'll just leave and be done. But how should we respond to suffering in the church? Pray. How much time do you spend in earnest prayer for our church? And it's not just praying, because it's also about the content of our prayers, right? What are we praying? Are we praying for what God wants to do in our church? Are we saying, God, come and do what you want to do? Or do we spend the most of our prayer saying, God, come and do what I want you to do? Let's keep reading. Verse 6, now when Herod was about to bring him out, On that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. All right, I want us to to get this, how how much they wanted to make sure that Peter could go nowhere. He's sleeping between two soldiers. They weren't taking any chances, right? He had already miraculously escaped prison once, and so they were not going to let him go uh, this time. So he had to sleep between two soldiers who were guarding him. So these soldiers weren't sleeping next to him. They're guarding him. So two men standing there watching him as he sleeps. Anybody like to uh, know when people watch you when you're sleeping? It's weird, right? He's bound with two chains. 
So they don't leave it enough to say, hey, two elite Roman guards are watching him sleep. They also have him shackled with two chains. And then there's sentries guarding the door. So if he overpowered two Roman soldiers, broke two chains off of his wrists, then he would have to beat up more soldiers just to get to the door. There was no chance Peter was getting out of this prison. But the next verse, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. A light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. Okay, so we're going to talk through just for a moment a terrible way to be woken up, right? So uh, first of all, the angel is, is suddenly just standing over uh, Peter. Has anybody in here ever woken up to your child just standing right above your head, just staring at you? Anybody had that happen? It's creepy. I, I am absolutely convinced that that is one of the leading causes of high blood pressure in parents. Is that that way of waking up? This uh, angel brings this heavenly light to the room. Who in here likes it when somebody just flips the light on when you're sleeping? Is that not one of the worst? That's a quick way to get hurt. Um, I I feel like there should be a a rule in place that if that's the way you wake somebody up, the the light switch should electrocute you a a little. Not, Not a lot, just a little bit. And so then, not only does he standing over him and the light just shining, he hits Peter in the side. <laughs> this is literally all the terrible ways to be woken up in once, right? Anybody like being just poked awake? That's another kid thing, right? So all of these happen all at one time, and it, it woke him. I would say it would wake me up. Anybody think that'd wake you up? I wonder if he woke up angry or scared, because I think it's going to be one of those two, right? Uh, you have an emotion when that's when somebody's standing over you and uh, the light gets turned on and you start getting poked. You're going to wake up either like, what? Or you're going to wake up really mad. But he wakes up and, and the angel says, get up quickly. God sent this angel to do the impossible. To bring heavenly hope to a hopeless place. He told Peter to get up even though he was guarded and chained. Think about what Peter's thinking. Like he sees this angel and he knows, okay, here's an angel. And I'm sure he's thinking this might be the time of encouragement of like, hey, stay, stay strong, be, be strong with the faith. You know, make sure you preach the gospel when you're going out, you're going to die and it's okay. But this angel says, no, get up. And the chains fell off. Peter just looks down and these chains are simply gone. No plans of man can stand in the way of what God is going to do. Herod had everything figured out, right? He had him in prison with multiple squads of soldiers and he was being watched and the door was being guarded and he had chains and it didn't matter because no plans of man are going to stand in the way of what God is going to do. The angel said to him, dress yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. He says, dress yourself. So Peter it doesn't have all of his clothes on and is sleeping. And that might've been something to, to make him feel dehumanized as he's sleeping in the presence of these soldiers. But I'm sure part of what Peter was thinking as soon as the chains fall off, is like, let's go. Like no time for getting clothes or anything like that. I got, I got to get out of here. But the angel stands with him while he gets his clothes on. Angel says, put your sandals on. I wonder if Peter thought, no, like I want to leave them all so I can tiptoe. I want to be quiet. But this escape is not happening because of human intelligence or power. God is busting him out of jail. And so this angel says, get on your clothes, grab your your sandals. And he does. He does it. 
when we come across commands from the Lord, what should we do with them? Nod our heads and say, that's good. Yes. Agree with them. Think of all the other people that should be doing them. Anybody ever do that? I hope that person was listening. When we come across command from Jesus, we should do it. He says, wrap your cloak around you. This angel is helping Peter grab all of his stuff. Has anybody ever tried to get uh, four, cor- four, 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 uh, four kids into a car with all their clothes on? Anybody ever arrived at church and realized you forgot something? It's typically shoes for me. They're going to be barefoot, like almost always. Like I, I'm, I'm amazed at how well Ashley does with it because when, it, when it's me, I'm just like, yeah, they, they don't have clothes on. <laughs> this is how this goes. But Peter, this angel is helping Peter grab all of his stuff, get everything together. And he says, follow me. Who does that sound like? When had Peter heard that before? He gets this sudden reminder of like, I'm sure there's some, again, put yourself in Peter's shoes. This is frantic. This is scary. The, the, the guards are still there. The guards are still watching. He's, he's, he's looking around. He's getting his clothes on. He's, I'm sure, panicky and frantic. And then I think just hearing those words, think of what that would have meant. Oh, yeah. Jesus conquered everything. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. Peter didn't think that what was happening was real. He thought he was getting to, he was just in a vision. He's, he's had visions before, right? So what he thinks he's seeing, because these guards can't see what's happening, they're kind of just acting like nothing's going on. The chains just fall off. He's getting up, getting clothes on, and, and kind of like walking around a room without anybody recognizing what's happening. He's like, okay, this is a vision. This is something God's showing me that, you know, for, for later. But it wasn't. And when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. So they just walk past these guards and weren't seen. And they come to the iron gate, the gate that just completely blocks you from getting out of this prison and into the city. This was an impossible barrier. It could not be broken down. So God just made it open by itself. There is nothing that God can't do. And they went out. Because there's no prison that God can't open. There's nothing that's impossible for him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. He came to himself. So remember, he thought this was a vision or a trance. All of a sudden at the moment, he, he really like realizes, this just happened. I just stood up. My chains fell off. I got dressed in front of guards that didn't see me. I walked past more guards that were guarding a door and a gate that should have never been able to be open just opened of its own and let me out. And he said, the Lord sent his angel. God still sends angels to help us. It's funny how much we don't talk about what God does in the spiritual realm. But if you read Hebrews 1, 13 through 14, it says, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? God sends his angels to serve, to help, and to protect us. He says, the Lord sent his angel and he rescued me. Peter did not rescue himself. 
Could he have walked out and told the story of, oh, you should have seen it. I beat up two Roman guards. I broke my chains. I, broke, I beat up uh, two more. I busted open the gate. He could have tried to claim glory, but it was not his. All the glory belongs to God because God did all of it. So he rescued him first from Herod. Herod was the, the figurehead for the Roman government inside of this area, and, and people were terrified of him. I have a question, though. Why do we fear government leaders more than we fear God? Why do we fear as if they have control that God is not in charge of? They have no power over God. He was also rescued from the Jewish people's expectations. My next question is this. Why do we fear church people more than we fear God? And why do we let their expectations stop us from obeying God's commands? Which is more important? To be liked by people or to live in obedience to God? Because there's a choice that has to be made many, many times on that, right? I want to wrap up in a a, a little bit of a different way. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I want to walk through this kind of different. I don't want us to make less of this truly miraculous, literal miracle. Right? This physically happened where Peter was actually in prison and an angel literally walked in and took his chains off of his hands and walked him out of that prison. That was an impossible thing to do. That was a literal, real thing. And we don't need to make less of this by saying all of this is something that we can relate to ourselves in a metaphorical way. But I think we can let this speak to us. Because I don't know that anybody in this room is right now about to be in an actual physical prison. But I think many people in this room are in very impossible situations. You're stuck in a place where you feel like it can't get any better. There's no way out. There's no hope. I just want to tell you that the same God that breaks open physical barriers and breaks chains off of Peter in this story is the same God who breaks spiritual chains of sin. There are no chains he can't break and no doors that he can't open. And are you trusting and praying to God that can do what you can't do? And my next question inside of that is, as you're dealing with that, are you earnestly praying to God about these situations? Are you earnestly seeking him and what he desires? Are you praying for what God wants? Do your prayers align with God's word? Because so many times we sit in these situations that are difficult, hard, or maybe even just simply impossible. They hurt and they're painful. And instead of praying, we spend so much time trying to use our power, our might, our, our intelligence, our cleverness, or maybe even just sulking in our gossip or our slander or in our anger. Instead of saying, I can trust the God of the universe and earnestly pray to him for help, for deliverance, for courage, for strength, and for truth. So I want to invite you, if you're in that situation, if you're in something that seems impossible, in a place that you need deliverance, 
Let's spend time earnestly praying to God of the universe. Jesus, I pray that you guide us to you today. Lord, I love this amazing story. God, Herod had plans to destroy the church, but he could not contend with you. These unbelieving Jewish people had plans to destroy the church, but they could not contend with you. You cannot be defeated. God, let us remember and learn to trust in a God that can't lose. That even when we suffer, we get to rejoice in getting to suffer for your sake. And we can trust that you can walk us through it. And Lord, in these impossible situations, we can trust that you can take us out of it. Help us to trust you with these today. In your name I pray. Amen. Please stay and respond however God leads you.